Hello and welcome to a hearty party of five and a half. How you doing, babe? I'm doing pretty good. Well, you're about to be doing even better because we have the coolest guest on today who's got a bunch of weird talents, kind of like you. Oh, are you calling me weird? Well, kind of. Okay. Well, flattery is going to get you nowhere. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> so this guy today, he's a spoken word poet. He's a voiceover actor, but yep. hold on, there's more. <laughs> he's a zoologist. This is the recipe... For a tasty podcast jambalaya. That's exactly what it is. And we're going to face some fears today. Well, mostly I'm going to face some <laughs> yes, fears. Yes, you are. Yeah. And then also we're going to learn some answers to some questions like, do rabbits really like carrots? I mean, everybody wants to know the answer to this question. So we hope you guys enjoy this podcast with Izzy Adiola. so excited to talk to you izzy adiola thank you yes. for joining hardy party five and a half nice to meet you uh, yeah, thanks nice to meet you. finally meet you. i'm glad you guys are excited for the conversation i am as oh, well. yeah. so excited all the way from london it's so cool i love <laughs> technology that we're able to do this so mm -hmm. it's pretty neat yeah absolutely okay so it was a life safe during the yeah. pandemic <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Right, and I, sure. that's one, I think that's one good thing that came out of the pandemic is we, we all got used to doing this. So yeah. I think it helps us connect when we couldn't right. connect. So. Yeah. Yes, yeah. very much so. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you have a, you have a crazy resume. <laughs> like you're a renaissance. Yes. Guy. You got all kinds of things going on. You're an award-winning voiceover artist. You're mm -hmm. a spoken word poet. Correct. Wild animal biologist. Yes. <laughs> you were a live presenter at the London Zoo. Yes, used to be. Yes. Yeah, you used, used to, be. to be. Yeah. So out of all these things, what was your first love? Like, what was the first thing that really interested you? Um, animals, right? Straight out of the gates since I was four years old. Um, you know how every child loves animals when they're, you know, four, five, six, seven, and then they kind of outgrow it in their teenage years because they discover girls, boys, and computers. That didn't happen with me. I just kind of, I still loved it all. I just, I was, I was pretty much that annoying kid who just devoured every Attenborough documentary, every wildlife show for kids. I asked my mother to get me wildlife books and wildlife toys, animal toys, when she went on business trips. So it was like, because I grew up in Nigeria. So a lot of that stuff was, um, I just consumed via television. And then also I'd observe things outside, you know, the birds flying, the lizards running across the streets. I was just hooked <laughs> pretty much. So that was the first thing that came. Um, voiceover came much later, but the desire was there because I'm, I'm a huge cartoon geek and I love animation. And I was, I became of an age where I was cognizant enough to know that there were people doing the voices of characters like Bugs Bunny and Darkwing Duck. So I was like, oh, wow, this looks really cool. I really would love to do this. But growing up in a very traditional Nigerian household, you typically have um, four options for a career. You have doctor, you have lawyer, you have accountant, and you have failure to your families. <laughs> Those are the four options. Yeah. So, so voice actor was not on the cards. It was just yeah. like, no, you're going to become a lawyer. Mom was like, no, you're going to be studying law. So I was like, oh, okay. So that kind of died when I was um 12. And yeah. I didn't chase it again until many, many, many years later, post-graduation, post, -graduation, post yeah. a politics degree. The law degree didn't happen, by the way. Post yeah. a politics degree, that's when I kind of... um rekindled my interest in voiceover but i've done many things since then yeah yeah so yeah. how many brothers and sisters do you have oh uh, it's a lot um so i have from my mother i have my older brother um so it's kind of like same same dad different moms in a way kind of thing yeah. so i have my big brother um but i also have um older an older half brother another half brother and three half sisters kind of thing so wow. it's it's complicated. What are all we, their we, jobs compared they, to yours? Do they, do, do yeah. they fall into the norm? <laughs> well, my my older brother from my mom is an animator, so he oh, um, cool. yeah, he studied animation. He ended up going down that route. So, oh, wow. and then my other siblings, they do all sorts of things, from um, working in media to working in um, 
There's one who is a chemical, he did chemical engineering and now he's running his own chemical engineering company. And then there's another of my sister who started working in television, in media kind of thing. Okay. But they all, they did all sorts of traditional degrees as well. Yeah. Like my brother initially, my older brother initially did computer engineering, which he hated. Yeah. And then he ended up switching and doing computer animation, which he enjoyed as well. And I did something similar because I, years later, I did a master's in wild animal biology um, because I never ended up using that politics degree. Just, it didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's awesome. good to get the degree out of the way and then really find out what you want to do. What you want to I do. think that's what happens most of the time in life. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. absolutely. So working with animals can seem like really unpredictable. I mean, that's why we have so many TikToks and reels and all of that of like animals, like funny little things animals do. What is like your favorite thing of working at a zoo? And then also like you have any funny moments and stuff that you can think of? Uh, yes. So um, <laughs> I have a few. Um, how much time have you got? So when I was all the time. When, <laughs> so um, I've worked at London Zoo. That's the zoo I've worked at for the longest period of time. I have um, combining volunteering, seasonal work, and studying. It's been about an eight-year career journey, and I've done all sorts of things from presenting, working in education, zookeeping all that sort of stuff, outreach, um, all sorts of different departments. And whilst I was there, I mean, I, I just love being around animals in general. I think it's just good for my psyche um, just to be around nature and wildlife. I don't really care whether it's free roaming or whether it's in an enclosure. As long as I can be close to it or adjacent to it, I love it. But I wanted to see what zookeeping was like because I know I loved animals, but I didn't know if I loved them enough to keep them in a yeah. zoo setting. So... I became a keeper volunteer for a stint and it was on a section at London Zoo called Animal Adventure, which is kind of the children's zoo. So they had like barnyard animals, but they also had lots of exotic animals like meerkats, owls, llamas, alpacas, um, birds of prey. So quite a diverse collection in that yeah. section, which is really cool because I got to have all sorts of really cool experiences. Um, one of my most memorable was with a llama named Perry. Now, <laughs> The thing about Perry, as Perry was, he wasn't a horrible animal, but he was a bit sassy every now and again. And <laughs> the thing about him is he was raised, he was bottle fed and he was raised by humans. So he thinks, he thought that all humans look like funny looking llamas. So he'll treat yeah. you like a funny looking llama. So one day I was taking him for a walk on his harness with his other roommate, another llama named BG, with some other keepers. And he, walking around the zoo, there's some trees he's not allowed to eat from. And he knows this, but he wanted to try his luck with me because I was new at the time. So he wanted to see how much he could get away with. So he tried to pluck from a tree and I knew he wasn't allowed. So I yanked on his harness and I said, nope, you're not allowed. And then he went, oh, are you going to tell me what to do? So his ears went backwards and he just sidled up to me and he went, dry spit. He didn't uh, spit because you know, if you know about llamas, you know, they spit when they're angry. Yeah. And I, and I was terrified. I was like, no, I don't want llama spit or llama. Exactly. That, Truth be told, they don't even really spit. It's projectile vomit. Oh. And, and it, yeah, that's really the the ammo that they unleash. They kind of regurgitated as a defense mechanism. And I don't want that smoke. No, yeah, no, no, no. No, so <laughs> I, but one of the keepers was like, no, 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 no. Don't, don't let him boss you around. Because if he knows he can boss you around, yeah. he'll do it again. Absolutely. So I kind of had to stand up to him and be like, nope, you're not allowed. And then he, again, ears went backwards. <laughs> Another dry spit. And I was like, oh, God, I'm going to get lava vomit on my face. I hate this so much. I hate this. But eventually he did sat, calm down and he realized, okay, I can't really get away with anything with this guy. But he kind of put the fear of God in me because I'm a bit nervous yeah. around llamas specifically yeah. because they can be a bit sassy. Every yeah, and again. that's true. Listen, that's good parenting. But yeah, that's consistent. That's parenting. good parenting that's what is what that is. Yeah. Like <laughs> <laughs> oh, guys, you would know you guys are parents. Hold those boundaries. Yes, that is good. Boundaries. <laughs> yeah. I liked his roommate better, BG, because BG wasn't raised or bottle fed by humans. So he knew humans were humans and he was a lot more flighty than yeah. Perry. But he was a lot more obedient, which mean, I meant I liked him better. Yeah. Whereas Perry, every now and again, because he saw humans as llamas, he was a bit more sassy. Yeah. Yeah. So do llamas, will they react to their name like a dog or a cat or? 
Or yeah, that... yeah. If you if you have a if you build a relationship with them, they can be called when you call them, kind of thing. So, yeah. and similar to um, kind of how we led them around, similar to horses as well. They understand certain commands. So when you tell them to stand, they'll stand. When you tell yeah. them to wait, they'll wait whilst we put the harness on them or and kind yeah. of lead them out. So they have similar, they have a similar training style to how you would train horses. Yeah. In your several years at the zoo, have you ever had any memorable animals get loose? <laughs> uh, yep. Yes, I did. <laughs> You're reminding me of this. And um, so, again, I was also a volunteer whilst this happened. Um, we had a bird called a hornbill. Um, if you remember the Lion King, Zazu is a hornbill. Yeah, so okay, yeah. yeah, so this was a species of hornbill from Asia, Malayan black hornbill. And we're training her. I can't remember her name. But we brought her out for a group on a branch and she didn't have a harness or anything like that, but we we're training her to follow commands, fly from here, fly from there. And we gave her grapes as a reward. But for whatever reason, I can't even remember, she kind of just flew off. And this can happen at times when you're training birds, you know, especially yeah. birds that can fly, you know, they right. can just fly off and just, it becomes a nightmare to track them down again. And then much to all our horror, she flew straight into the lion exhibit which wasn't too far from us oh and perched in a tree oh, so wow. it was like oh that's the worst place for her wow. i mean the lions couldn't reach her where she was but she just decided to just stay there because she was full of grapes so there was yeah. nothing to tempt her back with right, yeah. and she just decided i'm just gonna stay right here in this tree not realizing yeah. the massive cats that are beneath her maybe so, she wanted sounds, to talk to simba i was gonna yeah, say yeah. sounds like she'd seen lion king and knew what was up <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. I mean, they wanted to reenact a scene. Yeah. I don't know. She knew where to go. <laughs> that, that's funny. Oh my gosh. So, did how did you get, did you get her back? Did they get her back? Uh, they did get her back eventually. I can't even remember how because it was a very long yeah. time ago. But eventually, she did fly back to kind of the keepers. I mean, this isn't an uncommon thing when you're training birds. Yeah. Because there's all sorts of distractions, and the ideal is to get the bird on a target. Where you had they give them a food reward, but every now and, again, and this happened with another bird as well it was a caracara, which is a relative of the falcon, and it flew off from the zoo for days, and the wow. weather was really bad, and then eventually they did find it somewhere, I think in Regent's Park, which is very close to London Zoo, and this poor caracara was just bedraggled and wet, and it just kind of hopped <laughs> back in the crate. And I'm sorry, I ran away. Yeah, right. oh. I knew I shouldn't have left. That's right. I'm going back to the grapes. It was I'm like going, I'm going to go home now. Yeah. Like when I was five and wanted to run away, and my brother helped me fill my suitcase. But then I got out there, and it was too windy, so I came back. <laughs> so I, I can relate to the bird, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so let, we're going to talk about your social media. Why? First, first off, why are you called Izzy the Scribe? Why is that your name? Good name. Good, good question, brother. Um, so Issy, well, Issy is the shortened form of my name. Um, the yeah. scribe kind of came from an aunt of mine, actually, because one of I'm really good with writing, and I English was one of my strongest subjects at school. So I was good at writing essays and things like that. But I also somehow inadvertently discovered that I was good at poetry because of an assignment that was given to me that I didn't want to do. But I ended up doing, I ended up writing two poems when I was assigned one. And um, I was one, one of my aunts was a pastor and she said, um, as she was talking to me, she described me as anointed scribe. And I was like, scribe, huh, I like the sound of that. So <laughs> I kind of uh, adopted that moniker yeah. for kind of my writing stuff. Um, I hadn't, I can't remember if I'd started doing live poetry at the time, but for sure I'd been writing stuff. And then it was kind of when I left uni that I started doing open mic nights and stuff like that. And that was when I had that moniker after that conversation with my aunt huh. um, and that's how that came to be yeah okay that's cool. so did you do university in england or did how did you get in how did you get to england from nigeria nigeria yeah so i did my undergrad in england but, yeah. and i also did my a levels in england as well but high school elementary school was in nigeria so lots it's and this isn't uncommon for a lot of nigerian kids to do that they typically will do high education abroad um, and maybe they'll come back or they'll choose to stay wherever they're at, whether it's the States or parts of Europe or the UK yeah. kind of thing. So I did, I went to the University of Kent for my undergrad, and then I was in Yorkshire in Harrogate in a school called Asheville College for my A-levels. So, but I wasn't doing anything 
animal related at the time. It was all just sort of, I did English language, English lit and history. It was all kind of word and composition based, but that was good because it helped me on my rights, my skills as a writer. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. And then it's cool that all these talents that you have have like come together into what you're doing now. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, certainly with social media for sure, because yeah. I can kind of use those like as an alchemy. Um, but in terms of my career, there's one place that happened, that happened recently where I was able to use all three. Um, yeah. and this was last year. I appeared on a show called, so you guys are aware of, um, you know about BBC, um, British, Great British Bake Off on the BBC. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so this is another show, which is called BBC Awesome Watch, which is the nature show. So oh. I was fortunate enough to appear on that last year, which was my first ever television appearance to do with wildlife. And I ended up writing poetry for it, um, doing the voiceover for it, but also appearing in the show in a place called the Lake District, which is up north in England, where I was tracking um, the red squirrel, which is actually a very rare species here in the UK. And it's my favorite British mammal. Um, I've never seen one in the wild before and was fortunate enough to spot a couple in the wild. And we also spotted some wild badgers as well. And I got to write about my experience in a poetic style and then I kind of have that as a kind of soothing, almost, um, sleepy story voiceover for that segment of the show. Yeah. So those three are talents kind of dovetailed and it was a lot of fun and I want to do it again. <laughs> yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah. That sounds amazing. So you're, we talk about social media and sometimes like, especially on TikTok, it can be a really time waster. So I love what you're doing. Like you're, you're offering some education for people and it's entertaining, but also educational. So for you, how important it is for you to like offer something that's a little more meatier than just learning a dance or watching just mindless stuff, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, this is the thing. Um, I never set out to be a content creator on TikTok initially. Like I had the same reservations most people had that this is vapid, time-wasting right, nonsense. Yeah. Um, and I was just like, I can't be bothered with this. But a friend of mine did, um, I can't remember what it was, it was a challenge. And what drew me in was the creativity. It was the creative aspect and how people were actually using this to be really creative. I was like, oh God, how is this accomplished? So I got drawn in that way and I was like, oh, maybe I could do some voiceover stuff, some poetry stuff. Um, and then a friend of mine, a really good friend of mine said, hey, do you do any wildlife stuff? And I was like, and at the time I wasn't working at the zoo anymore because COVID happened, the pandemic happened and I got me redundant twice. So this was like the start of my TikTok journey. And she said, hey, do you do any animal stuff on TikTok? And I was like, no, not really. I don't work at the zoo anymore. So why would I? So, but yeah. she said, no, 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 no. This is your thing. Like, you, if you're going to do this, it's important that you pick something that you enjoy doing. You have to enjoy creating the content. What's the content you would like to see with animals? Because that's kind of your thing. And yeah. I thought about it. I was like, actually, yeah, you're, you're kind of right. I mean, I, I know I do the voiceover stuff, but there's lots of other voiceovers on it. So for me, bringing an interest and a passion that is, has been in me since day dot and bringing it out in a way that is entertaining for people and also that they can learn something. And it's all, it's also content that I would watch. It's like yeah. people, I'm glad that people want to see my stuff, but I also want to see my stuff and I want to see more of my stuff. So that's kind of, um, it was important for me to do that because TikTok can waste your time. It is a, <laughs> it's true. It's a wormhole. My God. <laughs> it's just, it and there's the temperamental algorithm where you're which you're contending with so there's that as well so it's it's really important that i'm enjoying it and as i as i continue to enjoy it in that way yeah absolutely that's awesome using your passion like that is very cool yeah, yeah. that's so cool so you. did you get into voiceover acting when did i get into that when yeah, is this? How did so it's it's kind of always been in the back of my mind i've always kind of had an interest in it you know, you grew up watching, you know, all of the Disney classics and then you see the the B-rolls and the behind the scenes and you see Robin Williams doing the genie or you see James Woods doing Hades and Hercules. And you're like, this looks amazing with how these people create these characters kind of thing. Yeah. So that's always been in the back of my mind. But it wasn't until 2014 where I lost someone very, very dear to me. And um, I was just kind of thinking about life and how fragile it was. And I was staying with a friend of mine and he said, if you had thousands in the bank, you know, all your needs were met, you know, and you wanted for nothing, what would you do? And I was like, I thought about it. I was like, well, I kind of like to give this voiceover thing a go just to kind of see if I'm good at it. 
that can make a go of it. And he said, well, why don't you give that a go? Why not? Life is short. So I said, okay. So it's it started a very long journey of listening to a lot of podcasts and doing training. I found out about an organization called Voice Over Network, where I found other voice actors, other people who I could bounce off of. I made friends that way and just doing different classes, doing lots of training to kind of, and this was a stretching thing as well, because I also had to learn about marketing and branding and how to build a website and all this stuff that voiceovers, voiceovers typically don't want to do. We, all, yeah. we want to be in the yeah. booth doing voices. Right. We don't yeah. want to do all yeah. this stuff, but this is all part and parcel of what it takes to become a modern working voice actor. So that was a long journey, which also led to some really cool opportunities, lots of cool auditions, some I missed, some I got. Um, and then also just last year, getting an award as well, because the piece that I did for BBC Autumn Watch won an award for yeah. best male voiceover for a TV documentary. So, so that was that was like, a, how many years now? Yeah, eight years, like an eight year journey kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So what's the creative process like? When you, I mean, are you like given a character and you're like, let me see what this voice sounds like and dig into them a little bit deeper? Like, what's the creative process like for you with the coming up with a voice? So it depends because, uh, and also it depends on the genre of voiceover because there's different, if it's a commercial read, it's going to be different from video games or e-learning animation. So typically, let's say it's a video game. Let's, I'll typically get a script. Hopefully there's a picture of the character, but I can see what the character looks like. And there's a breakdown of the, this character's synopsis, their, their backstory, the relationship with other characters. So I'm reading that. And taking all that into consideration, um, sometimes there might even be, um, they might have a, a reference for a certain type of voice or a style of voice. So they might say, oh, the reference for this voice is Chidi from The Good Place or Miles Morales from Into the Spider-Verse for this particular character. So I'll kind of like take that into consideration. Then I'll ask questions like, okay, who's this character? What do they want? Where are they in this world? Where's the world set? Is it is it a lighthearted game? Is it more serious and dystopian is it driven by action so those are all the things that i take into consideration when i'm building a character and getting a voice and also how old is the character are they young are they mid 40s mid 30s and that will typically prompt me to kind of age my voice up or down i'm better with younger voice characters than kind of the older hmm. 40 plus age range because i typically do get cast for kind of those younger characters yeah. Wait, he said 40 plus is older. Did I hear him say that? Right? Yeah, I thought he said that. <laughs> this is just what it is. I mean, late, <laughs> late 40s. <laughs> I should have said that. Just said late 40s, 50 up. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I love the way you think. Like earlier, you were talking about how you love like cartoons and movies and all that. And that's kind of how I look at the world, too, like through animation and movies. And so we want to do a little thing with you. Um, we're gonna we pick the movie Zootopia because obviously we're trying to Good match this up. like you're you're a zoologist. We're gonna match this up with your love of cartoons. <laughs> so we're gonna compare the character in the movie, give you a character in the movie, and then you tell us what the real animals like. So how well they did, right? How close it really matches up <laughs> to what they were uh -huh. doing. So the first one for Zootopia is Nick Wilde, which is the red fox. So mm -hmm. tell us about the red fox. Okay, so with Nick and his character, you, you know, he's a he's a hustler, he's a grifter, he's a very sly, you know, character. Very very few morals initially. Um, yeah. The the red fox specifically, you know, there's the the saying, "Oh, sly as a fox," or the crafty fox kind of thing. And there's a bit of truth to that because foxes are very adaptable animals. Um, mm -hmm. They're one of the few species that have survived human urbanization because they can be found where humans live. Like just mm -hmm. in the UK, we have a population of around 300,000 urban foxes, just foxes living in London, in central wow. London. And they've learned to exploit our habits because they eat our garbage. They live in our gardens. You know, mm -hmm. they can be found sunning themselves on our roofs. So they're, they're out. Foxes are out here hustling because they know how <laughs> to basically exploit humans. And, you know, as much as most of their wild habitat is gone or kind of taken over by humans they still learn to kind of live amongst us yeah. have babies breed find food and yeah they're, they're just a very adaptable hardy yeah. species yeah that makes no, sense much like nick yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it does it's yeah. like an extreme version of what yeah. foxes really do that's yeah. really cool okay so what about essentially 
Judy yeah. Hopps, the rabbit. Oh, Judy Hopps, the rabbit. Okay, so with her, there's, there's a scene in that movie where she's talking to Chief Bogo and Bogo kind of dismisses her. And then she gets really annoyed and she starts drumming her feet. And yeah. that's something that rabbits do when they are, typically they do it when they are alert, when they've seen a predator or they smelled something that they don't like, they'll do it. But uh -huh. they also do it when they're impatient or uh -huh. frustrated. So if you have a pet rabbit and it wants treats and you're not giving it treats, it might start drumming its feet if it's impatient. <laughs> Funny. Hey, if I start drumming my feet, will you give me a treat? Yeah, I will. Okay. <laughs> I know now. Or you'll, or you'll know I'm irritated. Right. <laughs> yeah, irritated. So a rabbit that's irritated or fearful or okay. that senses danger will stop drumming its feet. That's one of the things that it does. I didn't know that, yeah. It's so cool how they've in, they've incorporated the actual yeah, animal characteristics. Yeah. yeah, they did their research with a lot of these animals yeah, right. that they're based on. Okay, you you mentioned Chief Bogo, so he's a Cape Buffalo. So mm -hmm. how do they do with him? Okay, so they, in Africa, in Sub-Saharan Africa, where they're from, they are what they have a nickname the nickname for these guys is black death because oh. they yeah because they are the second most dangerous land animal in africa after oh. the hippopotamus yeah oh wow. because they yeah because they they attack and kill more people around 300 people a year give or take um mainly people who are trying to hunt them because yeah. they are extremely territorial very unpredictable and they move in huge herds like even prides of lions have to be careful when they're hunting them because they can do a lot of damage and chief bogo is a very tough no-nonsense character in the way he kind of runs his unit so and these animals are also really tough as well because their hides are super thick so that's why lions have those really huge canines to kind of bite through the bite through those tough hides yeah. and um, they also have those enormous handlebar horns which can do a lot of damage to humans and their vehicles. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, wow. that, that, that sounds terrifying. I know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if That's you're not an animal you want to miss. They have, they have Black Air Force energy, basically. Yeah. Wow. That's scary. Anything nicknamed Black Death, I don't want to be around. <laughs> well, let's <laughs> move on to everybody's favorite Zootopia character, Flash the Slog. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Now, first of all, that name is genius, given given his species yeah. given that he's slots of the world's slowest mammal so he's called flash although that that being said um slots can move quickly if they really really want to okay. now they don't for the mo most part because they have a very poor uh, a diet that's very low in nutrition they eat many leaves uh -huh. which are not high in nutrition at all and they have a the slowest metabolism of any mammal so they move really really slowly but if they want to move quickly they can, and they can swim better than they can walk. Really? They can't even, yeah, slots are excellent swimmers, and they can swim. They swim a lot faster on the ground. They can't even really walk. They kind of just drag themselves along the ground with their claws. Yeah, and um, and then there's that there's that hilarious scene towards the end of the movie where Flash is speeding in a sports car, <laughs> and but slots do have their fast moments as well, yeah. even though they are technically an exceptionally slow animal they're also the only animal that can actually starve to death on a full stomach oh what okay so how does that happen so much of the diet is leaves and yeah. they have various species of bacteria in their gut to help them digest cellulose which is a very tough fibrous material it's very difficult to digest but the thing about sloths is they, it's like they live in the tropical rainforest in south america and they like a very humid, warm environment. They can't regulate their body temperature very well. So they're a bit like a reptile. So if they're too hot, they stay in the shade. And if they're too cold, then they kind of find a sunny spot to bask kind of thing. But if the temperature gets too low in the rainforest, it can kill the bacteria that's in their gut. So oh, even yeah. if they eat a whole bunch of leaves, if even if they have a full stomach of leaves, they can't digest it because they don't have the bacteria to help them and they can't extract the nutrients from those leaves. So they can actually die of starvation on a full stomach. Oh, oh my God. Which is crazy. That is crazy. That's so sad. <laughs> okay, one more question about sloths. Do they have webbed, are they have like webbed um, between their claws to swim? No, no, they just, they, they just... have a lot of, they don't, it's weird because their biology is insane. They don't have a lot of musculature 
and yet they're able they have really really long gangly looking arms and they're yes. able to just kind of propel themselves through the water That's really so easily because yeah. everything about their design is designed to hang from right, a tree yeah. branch for yeah. hours yeah but it's like this thing can swim what? yeah right note to self look up swimming slots yeah there's a bbc documentary planet earth they did a segment on the pygmy three-toed sloth swimming from one end of the rainforest to another to find a mate okay wow there that's you go. crazy yeah Who that's, knew? i did not know i learned Who knew? <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay so we have one more mayor lionheart which is an african lion yeah he's so he's pretty cool so he's kind of like there's the mayor of Zootopia. He's this prominent figure, you know, very charismatic. Lions are very charismatic as well. Um, they are the second largest cat after the tiger. Um, so they're not as big as a tiger, but they are taller. Now, they're the tallest of the big cats at the shoulder. So male tigers are larger and heavier, but at the shoulder, male lions are taller. I just thought of that because Lionheart stands up. And yeah. he addresses the residents of Zootopia. Um, interestingly enough, with a, within a pride of lions, you typically have one or two males that breed with that breed with the females. But it's actually the lionesses that actually do the bulk of the hunting. And also, when it comes to where they hunt, when they hunt, and what they hunt, the chief decision makers are actually the lionesses huh. rather than the male lions. The male typically patrols his territory and fights off other males. And he also gets the lion's share of the kill when the lions get it, when the lionesses get it, which seems unfair, but yeah. the lions need that extra protein to bulk up so they can be strong enough to fight off other invading males. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. They sound kind of lazy. Well, they're yeah. Not, they're <laughs> too at the same time. <laughs> okay, whatever. Yeah, they have a purpose. They do have a purpose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like she doing all the work to me. It does. Yes. Have. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's do some like animal quick hits. In Ratatouille, let's see, why was Anton Ego's investment a bad idea? Okay, so rats don't have a very long lifespan. They typically live from one to two years, three years okay. if they're lucky, if they're kept in captivity, maybe four if they're okay. kept really well. So Ego's investment in that restaurant was very short-sighted. Yeah. It was just like, this is not how to invest in a small business. <laughs> you better hope they make a lot in those three years. Yeah. 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 Or, or either that or Disney magic just keeps Remy living for a long time. Right. Yes, yeah. That's right. And I don't think I, I don't think I want a rat touching my food. Yeah. You know, yeah. Know. Most people don't. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the first thing you really want in your show. So, okay. This was interesting. I was, I was looking at your Instagram and find and found this. Why do crocodiles climb trees? I never knew yeah, that. Well, thing, but why do they do it? Yeah, because first of all, that's like a mind blown moment. Just like, right, yeah, what? Yeah. Yeah. Crocs can climb trees. Well, right. they they do this for two primary reasons. They do it regularly, and um, one is to survey their environment to look for prey or threats, and the second reason is to regulate body temperature because crocs are reptiles; they are cold blooded animals. So when they climb trees. They can be closer to the sun, which is basically just like a big heat lamp in the sky. So they can warm up and regulate their body temperature. Um, and then also to kind of survey their environment and look for predators. Now, typically, you're not going to see like a whopping big 10 foot crop doing this. It typically tends to be like sub-adults, juveniles and babies right. that do this. Because the scientists that observed this behavior found that there were crocs found as high as 30 feet. But when they got closer to them, they promptly jumped out of the water into the jumped out into the water and just hightailed it because they were very yeah. skittish. Did you imagine walking along a path in Florida and you look up to find a crocodile above you? Yep, yeah. it's, well, it's, it's a scary thing. That's what I was going to say because when you're you're kind of trained in Florida to look in the water and make sure. But oh, there's sounds everywhere. Yeah, and I'm not thinking about. Yeah, them. they're everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, NASA, NASA actually used to have a problem with alligators climbing their fences into their area. So they actually had to make gator-proof fences to stop the gators from climbing over into the NASA. It was crazy. Oh, my word. I don't think I could ever live in Florida. <laughs> no, 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 no. And it's interesting. It's like the sloth where it's not built to do that stuff, but it does it. You know what I mean? It does it anyway. Yeah, that's just, that's fascinating to me. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Okay. Rabbit. Weird like that. Do what? 
Nature is weird like that. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's Sometimes like, it doesn't play by the things. rules. Yeah. yeah. They probably think we're weird too. They're like those weird humans. Yeah. Um, do rabbits really like carrots? They do, but it's not something they should be fed regularly, like three meals a day, because the way humans have cultivated carrots, well, first of all, the carrots we eat, they look nothing like wild carrots. Wild carrots are these thin, spindly looking roots. Yeah. The ones we've bred are these massive orange things. And they're high in carbohydrates, high in sugar, and they're too high in carbs to be fed to rabbits on a regular basis. Because if you feed them too many, they can get malnourished, they can get obese. They, they really should be fed as treats, whereas the bulk of a rabbit's diet is actually really boring. It's actually mainly hay and grass and this tough, fibrous material. 75% of a rabbit's diet should be that stuff with things like carrots, um, apples, and berries really should be fed as treats kind of thing. So Bugs Bunny is a fraud. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's being very unhealthy. That's he's making true. a lot of choices. Well, that's pretty wise. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is, is a hippo a dolphin? Yeah. Kind of. Kind of, but not really. So hippos are classed as ungulates. So they're ho hooved mammals that graze, basically. Um, they're from the family Hippopotamidae. So they are an ungulate, technically. But... In terms of their evolutionary lineage, they're more closely related to whales and dolphins and porpoises. And that family of mammals are called cetaceans. So it's essentially just an enormous land dolphin. And <laughs> they, they actually do something called um, porpoising because I, they have, I have a video on my TikTok of a hippo, which is at Cincinnati Zoo. Her name is Fiona. She's leaping out of the water like a dolphin, which is what dolphins do. It's called porpoising when they leap out of the water. Yeah. And the first time I saw that, I was just like, I didn't believe it. No. But now I do. <laughs> that's, I didn't see that's crazy. Hippos can leap. <laughs> yeah. In water. This is the way th the, the way I think about a hippo's biology is that when you look at it, you think it's just this big blob of fat. That's right. none of that is fat. That's all muscle. Yeah. A hippo is just a giant one ton body of muscle. Now, despite all this muscle, they can't actually swim. They have to walk or trot on the bottom of the riverbed. But because they have all that muscle, they can propel themselves out of the water. So there's a, there are viral clips on the internet of boats being chased by hippos, jumping, porpoising out of the water, chasing them. Oh my gosh. <laughs> This is terrifying. Rebecca is now totally wildlife you're everywhere. You're systematically checking off all the places I'm never going to live. <laughs> Basically, well, yeah, just like, well, yeah, just yeah, don't. Just, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm culture lies. Yeah. I've always known hippos were dangerous. I didn't really know that they were just like so muscle massed. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Yeah. Yeah, yeah hippos are jacked. They're absolutely jacked. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Rebecca, we've we've scared you enough today, but I'm about to I don't scare know if you. I can again. do the next question, babe. <laughs> I'm about to check out. Like we've gone to, we have a little. There's a safari, probably about an hour and a half from it. Yeah, yeah. That we get that we've done before with the kids, and her most, the one that scares her the most are emus and ostriches. Why are they so freaking terrifying? <laughs> because they're rebranded dinosaurs. That's why they're so terrifying. Oh, okay. Essentially, because birds are typically they kind of. Birds kind of evolved from dinosaurs. Um, they have a lot of reptilian features. Like if you look at just like the scales on a chicken's leg, that's actually very similar to snake skin or reptile skin. So they have a lot in common with reptiles. So when you look at an emu or an ostrich, you think that, that thing just looks like a big feathered dinosaur, like something yeah. straight out of Jurassic Park or something. So, and also it's a big imposing bird kind of thing. So I understand her fear and I get it. <laughs> So when you say like these things terrify me, I, I am totally with you on that. But I do want to tell you a few things about ostriches that might endear you to them because male ostriches are one of the most devoted fathers in the animal kingdom. That's That, that helps. Okay. Yeah. yeah, they're very devoted fathers because they typically have, um, during the matings, and they do a lot during the breeding season as well because they have a very elaborate mating dance for the females, they typically curve their neck in an S shape. They get low to the ground and they kind of flail their feathers around. They, they put their all into it. And then sometimes yeah. what they'll do is they'll they'll peck the ground with their beak, almost as a way to let the female know, hey, 
let's build a nest together kind of uh -huh. thing. And um, they do this with several females. The females will lay all these eggs. And when they hatch, it's actually the male that does, they share parenting duties, but even the male does a lot of the work. So if the female abandons the clutch, yeah. the male will still look after the eggs huh. kind of thing. Okay. Right up to the point where they hatch. So they're actually really devoted fathers. Yeah. Does that help any of A little bit it helps. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't, am I right in thinking that if it gets too close to me, it's going to peck my eyeballs out? <laughs> if it gets too close, it's probably being curious, to be honest, because <laughs> funny enough, their eyes, they have the biggest eyes of any land animal. So those, yeah. that, those eyes look really big and imposing. But if you look really close, they also have eyelashes, which yeah. many women envy. They have them really nice looking eyelashes. Yeah. And they are curious birds, so if there's something interesting, they'll come up and look at you. They don't typically want to get you okay. but unless you enter into their territory, because they are territorial. So if there's anything or anyone that comes into their territory that they don't like or they don't recognize, then they're going to come after you. That's when you well, should be scared. If I'm coming up to one, aren't I in their territory? <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, yeah, I would hope that you would hang out on our street. <laughs> yeah, because I would I would hope you're with a zookeeper who is with you to kind of yeah you know Keep make sure things don't go south kind of thing. Yeah, I think in in, no, I think in general I just I'm kind of scared of beaks. Like I've kind of dissected this within myself, and the ostrich is the biggest beak I could think of that would like come at me. But I think in general, like even like we've had birds before as pets, you know, and they they sit on you. I'm scared. I'm the most scared of their beak. Okay. Well, that's 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 not the most damaging thing about an ostrich. It's actually their feet, <laughs> because they kick. They have an almighty kick. Because if you look oh. at the the drumstick part of an ostrich, the leg part, there is a lot of muscle, and they can deliver a kick that if it gets you in the wrong place, it's over, kind of thing. Yeah, because wow. out, out in the wild where they live, they have to contend with being eaten by lions, hyenas and leopards and things like that. So they will kick to defend themselves and they can't they can handle themselves. They're not these big, goofy looking birds. Right. They can't handle themselves if they want to, but that's purely in self-defense. Um, huh. I'm trying to think of what else I can say to endear these guys to you. Because... <laughs> you don't have to worry about the babies. It's the babies. It's the yeah. They don't have arms. They got They're good dads. Yeah. yeah. Good dads, that's good. Family men. That's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah as a family man. Better than the lion who's out there letting the wife Just hanging out, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So they do share parenting duties. They're, they're yeah, more devoted. Nice. That's nice. <laughs> so is that helped any? I guess Should maybe. we go to the safari no. and drive through? We can no. drive through with the windows up. Okay. If the windows up. Well, the windows should be up. That's the smart yeah. thing to do yeah. in See? a safari. I like him. <laughs> okay. oh, the windows should be up. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, speaking of favorite animals, since your the ostriches mm -hmm. is obviously yours. Yeah. Um, what Wait, are your ostriches? Ostriches? Is that right? Is it? Ostrich? How do you say Ostr plural? ostriches? Plural is ostriches. Yeah. Or ostrich. It yeah. sounds weird. But... Okay. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of favorites, what are your top three animals? What's Izzy the scribe's top three animals that you like the best? Okay, top three. Number three would be a small wild cat called a caracal. Um, it looks like a lynx but it's not a lynx. It's kind of just cosplaying as a lynx because it has tufted ears, but it is such a badass cat because it can leap 10 feet in the air Ooh. and catch a bird from the sky. What? I mean, yes. <laughs> it's Michael Jordan. Like, yeah. <laughs> this is the Jordan of cats because yeah. their back legs are slightly longer than their front legs, which is why they're able to do this. So they have an incredible leaping ability. They can bring down birds as big as an eagle in some what? cases. Wow. So I'm just like, that cat deserves its own movie. They're not scared of beaks at all. <laughs> no, they'll eat beaks. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Quite happily. So yeah. that's number three. Number okay. two, number two is a bird, actually. Number two is, and it also resembles a dinosaur if you look at how it's built. This is a bird that's called a secretary bird. And it has a weird name because it has these feathers on the back of its head. It has a crest that kind of resembles like an old school secretary with quill feathers behind their ears. So that's one of the origins of how this bird got its name. And also, if you look at its bill, it's got these dark feathers on its legs, and it's got gray wing, gray feathers on the wings that kind of looks like this old school secretary with dark trousers and a gray waistcoat. So it's a very elegant, dapper looking bird. And these birds are really badass because they eat venomous snakes as part of their diet. 
Oh, all so right. They can, they can curb stomp a cobra and have it for breakfast, basically. Wow. Oh, my goodness. He tends to like animals that can take care of business. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I like animals that, are, that have a bit of an edge. They Like, they look goofy looking as well. If you look, if you see them, it looks like a mashup between an eagle and a crane. Because they've got really, really long legs. But then they've got the upper torso of, like, a falcon or an eagle. But they know how to deliver business because... They can deliver, I forget, I forget the power or the force that they can exert with their talons, but it's basically the equivalent of being hit with a hammer on your hand. Oh my and that's enough. And, and they do that repeatedly when they want to take down a small animal yeah. or a long snake. And it works. Yeah. Wow. wow. That's crazy. Okay. Number one. Your number one. So number one is an animal most people have never heard of. Um, I was on a pod another podcast last year, and I was shocked that the podcaster knew this animal. I was very impressed. Um, <laughs> so this is another animal mashup. It looks like a teddy bear crossed with a monkey, and it's called a kinkajou. Now, if you look at it, like, see, you, you're shaking your head. So you've never heard of this nope. animal. <laughs> so it's got this golden brown fur coat, really, really long prehensile tail, and this teddy bear-looking face. It kind of looks like a lemur, but it's more... It's from the raccoon family, and it's oh. from South America, found in the rainforest. The reason I love it so much is because they, they've cracked the code on living their best life because they don't get bothered by predators very often because of where they live in the canopy of the rainforest. Mm -hmm. They have a sweet tooth, huge sweet tooth, because excuse me, they eat a lot of things that are really sweet, like honey, nectar, um, fruits. Um, in fact, one of the nicknames for this animal is honey bear because it kind of resembles a small teddy bear just with a very long tail. So it's very cute, it's very adorable looking. And they have a really, really long tongue that they stick into flowers to get the nectar. Aww. And they sleep a lot. <laughs> so I'm just like, this animal is adorable. They sleep a lot. And sweet they tooth. Sweet. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. So they got a mate. I, I would happily be this animal. This is, the life this animal I want. This is right. definitely the life I want. Our Correct. son engaged to a girl that she's in um, Costa Rica right now. She's a, uh, she's a uh, herpetology is her, oh, nice. what she's studying. So she's all about, and she loves to go to the zoo and look at all the monkeys and stuff. I'm sure she's probably heard of the monkey you're talking about. She's a big frog. Yeah. She, she loves big, frogs. Yeah. Oh, she likes frogs. She likes yeah. all the frogs. Can tell you all the things about all the frogs. Big frog person. Yeah. 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 So thank we can't thank you enough for joining us today. But before we go, we, we know that you've got this amazing voice and we want to test you on your <laughs> on your prowess and see oh. how can you describe oh, <laughs> Party Party of Five and a Half in your best movie trailer voice? You got oh, something? Oh gosh! So this is a this is a cold read, and it's improv as well. <laughs> we like improv. This is everything voiceovers fear. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like me and ostriches. So hey, I I have stepped into my fear today, and now we're asking you to step into yours. Okay, give me a moment. Let me just get a drink. He's got to prep. Got to prep. Yeah. <laughs> we're seeing the process mm -hmm. right now. For a wholesome time in your earlobes, tune in to Hardy Party of Five. You won't be disappointed. For all things wholesome, interesting, and intriguing, Hardy Party of Five is your podcast. Tune in. That is awesome. That is so good. I love it. That was just off the top of my head. That was great. Right I'm a lot better if I'm prepared. It. How do you change your voice totally like that? That was amazing. <laughs> Well, yeah, switching. I'm I'm quite shy about switching voices, but it's something I can do pretty okay. Um, yeah. in terms of just kind of switching switching things up and switching things down. So yeah. there's pitch, there's placement, there's all that stuff, yeah. which is yeah. a lot of fun, but it's also really nerve wracking. <laughs> yeah, and well, thanks for that. Since, since we're both over fifty, it was perfect that you went down. You know, with your voice, like. <laughs> <laughs> It's, oh gosh! It's so delightful, man. I could talk to you all, all day. This has been just wonderful. Same. Thank you taking the time. Yeah, you'll have to settle settle for watching his TikTok. Yeah, we'll be <laughs> Thank you very. Thanks so much for having me. This has been a yes. fun combo. Thank you yeah. so much. We look forward to catching up with you in the future, maybe, and seeing what you're up to. Yeah, sure. I'd love to come back. Thank you. Thanks again okay, for having me. Great. So, Rebecca. Yeah. 
Was that a stressful podcast for you? I mean, there were stressful parts. Yeah. We talk, talking about all the beaks. Yeah. How do you feel about ostriches now? I don't think he was successful in making <laughs> me love them more. I'm going to be honest. I actually only, I used to just fear their head and now I fear them from head to toe, literally. Okay. Well, for me, he kind of scared me with the alligator because I've always, because I go to Florida a lot, like Orlando for jobs and I'm at hotels and resorts that always have like a golf course mm-hmm. and a big lake and a big pond. And I'm when I go out for runs and stuff, especially at night, I'm always cognizant of, hey, I'm watching the shoreline to make sure there's no alligators. And they usually have signs stuck in the Right, they do, but they don't mention that they could be in the tree. Okay, to be fair, it was crocodiles that are in the trees. Okay, true. Not alligators. And we shot we might should have asked for clarification. But see, I think that's one it's kind of what we talked about in the interview with him is we kind of mesh all these things in popular culture and in our minds, we mesh them together. Because when I think alligator, I think crocodile, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's just kind of what it's the fears that we've kind of learned that aren't true. So we learned a lot of true things about animals that we didn't know. Right. Yeah. I mean, alligator and crocodiles, they say two different things. You know, one says, see you later, alligator. And the other one says, after After a while, while, crocodile. crocodile. So, I mean, I should know the difference. Totally different things. So I don't really know. I feel like we're going to have to have Izzy back on sometime and discuss the difference between alligators and crocodiles. So we can just rest, really get in depth there. Yes, and we can rest easy at night. Because I think really what you described is like a surface level difference right. of alligators and crocodiles. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll, I'll be okay sleeping about the alligator and crocodile thing because we don't live in Florida. Right. If we had had some big conversation about armadillos, I might be locking the doors. And you know, one thing I wanted to talk to him about that we didn't get a chance. Huh. It's what I call the devil dog. And I... I came across one of these. I was walking his Wrigley. I don't walk Izzy. I was walking Wrigley. <laughs> she doesn't like to walk. <laughs> and you walk her if it happens. Mm-hmm. We were, I was walking Wrigley late at night. It was like 10 o'clock last night. And we come up on the edge of the park. And sitting, just nesting on top of this fence is the devil dog. Which is what? It's what I call an opossum. Yeah. Because that thing slowly turned its freakish black eyes and white face at me. With its open mouth. Yes. And I just knew it was going to either jump on me or Wrigley. And again, it's probably that fear that Mm. they probably don't do that, but I'm thinking they do. Imagine had you turned your head and seen a crocodile about to jump on you. I was more scared by the devil dog possum than I would be an alligator. No. That is wrong. Well, and now we know that the alligator and crocodile could be on the fence. That's what I'm saying. Imagine oh my if you gosh. saw them. Wow. I know. Babe, we got to go. This we has been go. life-changing. It has. I need to go take a Xanax. <laughs> we hope you guys enjoyed this interview with Izzy Adiola. Go follow him on TikTok. So much fun. So much hilarious and informative content. You're going to want to see it. Party Party 5 and a half. Over and out. We'll see you next time.